Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. The Romans ruled what is now France for more than 500 years. The term for modern-day France was Gaul during pre-Roman and Roman times. France is an evolution of the word Francia, which came from its Frankish rulers after they drove out the Romans from former Gaul in the late 5th century AD. One millennia later, French explorers and settlers crossed the Atlantic Ocean to spread its ancient language and culture to a new world. Before resuming the fascinating saga of New France, let's reach back in history to a pivotal epoch that directly fertilized the roots of the French-European nation. North American institutions, architecture, infrastructure, city planning, art, music, literature, history, culture, manners, customs, traditions, political organizations, laws, and language owe a great deal to the Roman Empire. The conquest of Gaul brought Roman occupation and influence to a land later to become France, one of North America's major European founding nations. Join me as we conclude a fun precursor to the French exploration and colonization of North America. Gaul Conquered by Julius Caesar Vercingetorix was bearing the burden of his superiority and influence until he should suffer the penalty and pay with his life for his patriotism and his glory. He was approaching the happiest moment of his enterprise and his destiny. In spite of reverses, in spite of Caesar's presence and activity, the insurrection was gaining ground and strength. In the north, west, southwest, on the banks of the Rhine, the Seine, the Loire, the idea of Gallic nationality and the hope of independence were spreading amongst people far removed from the center of the movement, and were bringing to Vercingetorix declarations of sympathy or material reinforcements. Caesar, engaged upon the siege of Gergovia, encountered an obstinate resistance, whilst Vercingetorix encamped on the heights which surrounded his birthplace, everywhere embarrassed, sometimes attacked, and incessantly threatened the Romans. The 8th Legion, drawn on one day to make an imprudent assault, was repulsed and lost 46 of its bravest centurions. Caesar determined to raise the siege and to transfer the struggle to places where the population could be more safely depended upon. It was the first decisive check he had experienced in Gaul, the first Gallic town he had been unable to take, the first retrograde movement he had executed in the face of the Gallic insurgents and their chieftain. Vercingetorix could not and would not restrain his joy. It seemed to him that the day had dawned, and an excellent chance arrived for attempting a decisive blow. He had under his orders, it is said, 80,000 men, mostly his own Avernians, and a numerous cavalry furnished by the different peoples, his allies. He followed all Caesar's movements in retreat towards the Saône, and, on arriving, he halted near a little river, pitched his camp about nine miles from the Romans, and, assembling the chiefs of his cavalry, said, Now is the hour of victory. The Romans are flying to their province and leaving Gaul. That is enough for our liberty today, but too little for the peace and repose of the future, for they will attack with greater armies, and the war will be without end. Attack we them amidst the difficulties of their march. If their foot support the cavalry, they will not be able to pursue their route. If, as I fully trust, they leave their baggage to provide for their safety, they will lose both their honor and the supplies whereof they have need. None of the enemy's horse will dare to come forth from their lines. To give you courage and aid, I will order forth from the camp and place in battle array all our troops, and they will strike the enemy with terror. 
the gallic horsemen cried out that they all must bind themselves by the most sacred of oaths and swear that none of them would come again under roof or see again wife or children or parent unless he had twice pierced through the ranks of the enemy and all did take this oath and so prepared for the attack vercingetorix knew not that caesar with his usual foresight had summoned and joined to his legions a great number of horsemen from the german tribes roaming over the banks of the rhine with which he had taken care to keep up friendly relations not only had he promised them pay plunder and lands but finding their horses ill-trained he had taken those of his officers even those of the roman knights and veterans and distributed them amongst his barbaric auxiliaries the action began between the cavalry on both sides a portion of the Gallic had taken up position on the road followed by the Roman army to bar its passage, but whilst the fighting at this point was getting more and more obstinate, the German horse in Caesar's service gained a neighboring height, drove off the Gallic horse that were in occupation, and pursued them as far as the river, near which was Vercingetorix with his infantry. Disorder took place amongst this infantry so unexpectedly attacked. Caesar launched his legions at them, and there was a general panic and rout among the Gauls. Vercingetorix had great trouble in rallying them, and he rallied them only to order a general retreat, for which they clamored. Hurriedly striking the camp, he made for a neighboring town, Alesia. Caesar immediately went in pursuit of the Gauls, killed, he says, three thousand, made important prisoners, and encamped with his legions before Alesia. The day but one after Vercingetorix, with his fugitive army, had occupied the place as well as the neighboring hills and was hard at work entrenching himself, probably without any clear idea as yet of what he should do to continue the struggle. Caesar at once took a resolution, as unexpected as it was discreetly bold. Here was the whole Gallic insurrection, chieftain and soldiery, united together within or beneath the walls of a town of moderate extent. He undertook to keep it there and destroy it on the spot, instead of having to pursue it everywhere, without ever being sure of getting at it. He had at his disposal eleven legions, about fifty thousand strong, and five or six thousand cavalry, of which two thousand were Germans. He placed them around Alicia and the Gallic camp, caused to be dug a circuit of deep ditches, some filled with water, others bristling with palisades and snares, and added, from interval to interval, twenty-three little forts, occupied or guarded night and day by detachments. The result was a line of investment about ten miles in extent. To the rear of the Roman camp, and for defense against the attacks from without, Caesar caused to be dug similar entrenchments, which formed a line of circumvallation of about 13 miles. Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening, who should call right now? Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The troops had provisions and forage for 30 days. Vercingetorix made frequent sallies to stop or destroy these works, 
but they were repulsed, and only resulted in getting his army more closely cooped up within the place. Eighty thousand Gallic insurgents were, as it were, in prison, guarded by fifty thousand Roman soldiers. Vercingetorix was one of those who persevere and act in the days of distress, just as in the springtide of their hopes. Before the works of the Romans were finished, he assembled his horsemen and ordered them to sally briskly from Alicia, return each to his own land, and summon the whole population to arms. He was obeyed, and the Gallic horsemen made their way during the night through the intervals left by the Romans still in perfect lines of investment, and dispersed themselves amongst their various peoples. Nearly everywhere irritation and zeal were at their height. An assemblage of delegates met and fixed the amount of the contingents to be furnished by each nation, and a point was assigned at which all those contingents should unite for the purpose of marching together towards Alicia and attacking the besiegers. The total of the contingents thus levied on the forty-three Gallic peoples amounted, according to Caesar, to two hundred and eighty-three thousand men, and two hundred and forty thousand men, it is said, did actually hurry up to the appointed place. Gaul suddenly sent two hundred and forty thousand men to the assistance of eighty thousand Gauls besieged in the little town of Alicia by fifty or sixty thousand Romans. It is certain that, at the very first moment, the national impulse answered the appeal of Vercingetorix, and that the besiegers of Alicia, Caesar and his legions, found that they were themselves all at once besieged in their entrenchments by a cloud of Gauls hurrying up to the defense of their compatriots. The struggle was fierce but short. Every time that the fresh Gallic army attacked the besiegers, Vercingetorix and the Gauls of Alicia sallied forth and joined in the attack. Caesar and his legions on their side, and at one time repulsed these double attacks, at another themselves took the initiative, and assailed at one and the same time the besieged and the auxiliaries Gaul had sent them. The feeling was passionate on both sides. Roman pride was pitted against Gallic patriotism. But in four or five days the genius of Caesar carried the day. The Gallic reinforcements, beaten and slaughtered without mercy, dispersed and Vercingetorix and the besieged were crowded back within their walls without hope of escape. We have two accounts of the last moments of this Gallic insurrection and its chief. One, written by Caesar himself, plain, cold, and harsh as its author. The other, by two later historians who were neither statesmen nor warriors, Plutarch and Dion Cassius, has more detail and more ornament. The day after the defeat, says Caesar, Vercingetorix convokes the assembly, and shows that he did not undertake the war for his own personal advantage, but for the general freedom. Since submission must be made to fortune, he offers to satisfy the Romans either by instant death or by being delivered to them alive. A deputation there is sent to Caesar, who orders the arms to be given up and the chiefs brought to him. He seats himself on this tribunal in front of his camp. The chiefs are brought. Vercingetorix is delivered over. The arms are cast at Caesar's feet. He had the prisoners distributed, head by head, to his army as booty of war. The account of Dion Cassius is more varied and dramatic. After the defeat, says he, Vercingetorix, who was neither captured nor wounded, might have fled, but, hoping that the friendship that had once bound him to Caesar might gain him grace, he repaired to the Romans without previous demand of peace by the voice of a herald, and appeared suddenly in his presence, just as Caesar was seating himself upon his tribunal. The apparition of the Gallic chieftain inspired no little terror, for he was of lofty stature, and had an imposing appearance in arms. There was a deep silence. 
Vercingetorix fell at Caesar's feet and made supplication by touch of hand without speaking a word. The scene moved those present with pity, remembering the ancient fortunes of Vercingetorix and comparing them with his present disaster. Caesar, on the contrary, found proof of criminality in the very memories relied upon for salvation, contrasted the late struggle with the friendship appealed to by Vercingetorix, and so put in a more hideous light the odiousness of his conduct. And thus, Far from being moved by his misfortunes at the moment, he threw him in chains forthwith, and subsequently had him put to death, after keeping him to adorn his triumph. Another historian, contemporary with Plutarch, Florus, attributes to Vercingetorix, as he fell down and cast his arms at Caesar's feet, these words, Bravest of men, thou hast conquered a brave man. It is not necessary to have faith in the rhetorical compliment, or to likewise reject the mixture of pride and weakness attributed to Vercingetorix in the account of Dion Cassius. It would not be the only example of a hero seeking yet some chance of safety in the extremity of defeat, and abasing himself for the sake of preserving at any price a life on which fortune might still smile. However it may be, Vercingetorix, vanquished, dragged out after ten years' imprisonment to grace Caesar's triumph and put to death immediately afterwards, lives as a glorious patriot in the pages of that history in which Caesar appears. On this occasion, as a peevish conqueror, who took pleasure in crushing with cruel disdain the enemy he had been at so much pains to conquer, Alicia taken and Vercingetorix a prisoner, Gaul was subdued. Caesar, however, had in the following year a campaign to make subjugate some peoples who tried to maintain their local independence. A year afterwards, again, attempts at insurrection, but they were easily repressed. They had no national or formidable characteristics. Caesar and his lieutenants willingly contented themselves with an apparent submission, and the Roman legions, after nine years' occupation in the conquest of Gaul, were able to depart therefrom to Italy and the East for a plunge into civil war. Next time, we rejoin our series narrative as we head to eastern North America and the fledgling French colonial empire. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.